every Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. This is Peter Lewis. A warm welcome to my podcast, Money Talk, for the final day of the week, Friday the 9th of June. This podcast is now consistently one of the top 10 most listened to finance podcasts in Hong Kong on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening and keeping us at the top of the rankings. We're also on Google Podcasts and Spotify. And if you want to get in touch, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. You'll find my daily newsletter there with a lot more business and finance information. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, China's six biggest state banks cut deposit rates on Thursday in a bid to boost the economy. The changes, which came into effect yesterday, will also see three-year and five-year deposit rates drop by 15 basis points to 2.45% and 2.5% respectively. It's the second time in less than a year that Chinese authorities have asked the nation's biggest banks to lower their deposit rates. Japan's economy grew much faster than initially expected in the first quarter as corporate spending picked up on the back of robust earnings and private consumption also increased. The Japanese economy advanced 0.7% in the first first quarter of 2023, compared with a flash reading of a 0.4% expansion. The Reserve Bank of India held its key repurchase rate at 6.5% yesterday for a second straight month. The latest move was in line with market forecasts amid easing inflation. India's annual inflation slowed to an 18-month low of 4.7% in April. That's within the RBI's 2-6% target range due to a slowdown in food prices. New downwardly revised figures from the Eurozone showed the economy shrank in the past two quarters, putting it in a technical recession. The Eurozone economy unexpectedly dropped 0.1% Q-on-Q in the first three months of 2023, compared to earlier estimates of a modest 0.1% rise. Figures for the final quarter of 2022 were also revised to show a 0.1% fall instead of a flat reading. The US Department of Labor reported that new applications for unemployment aid, which is a proxy for job cuts, climbed by bigger than expected 261,000 last week, hitting their highest level since October 2021. It marks the third consecutive week of increases in the number of initial jobless claims, a sign that high interest rates are beginning to take a toll on the country's businesses. On today's program, I'm joined by Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities, and Kenny Wen, Head of Investment Strategy at KGI Asia. With a view from Australia and New Zealand is Mike Gibbs-Harris, Director of MGH Asset Management in Wellington, New Zealand. On Wall Street, US shares rose Thursday ahead of key inflation data in the FOMC meeting next week. The S&P 500 traded 0.6% higher and ended the day at 4,294, its highest closing level of 2023. The index has risen 20% off its October 2022 low, entering a new technical bull market. The Dow gained 169 points, or half a percent, to close at 33,834. The Nasdaq Composite climbed 1%, closing at 13,238. Investors returned to tech with the NYSE FANG Plus Index of 10 highly traded tech stocks, rising over 2%, reversing its losses from the previous session. The Russell 2000 Index of Small Cap Stocks, which has been showing strength in recent days, dipped 0.4% Thursday, but the index is up 7.5% in June. A CBOE Volatility Index, or VIX, fell to 13.65 Thursday, marking its lowest point since February 2020. 
The fresh unemployment data pointing to a cooling economy put pressure on Treasury yields, sending prices higher. According to CME Group's FedWatch tool, traders are pricing in a 74% chance of no change in interest rates at the Fed meeting next week. However, the odds of a rate hike by the end of July stand at 65%. The yield on the two-year Treasury note fell four basis points to 4.51%. The yield on the 10-year note was down eight basis points at 3.72%. The US dollar index fell to a two-week low, and spot gold rose 1.5% as interest rate expectations fell. Hong Kong's Hang Seng reversed morning losses and rose 47 points, or 0.3%, to 19,299. The market recovered after the head of the National Financial Regulatory Administration said it will prompt banks to increase their credit supports to revive domestic demand. Futures markets are pointing to a small gain of around 35 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Mainland Chinese markets also recovered from early losses. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite closed with gains of half a percent at 3,214. Shenzhen's tech-heavy Chinex gauge fell a third of a percent to a new three-year low following a 1.6% fall on Wednesday. You can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter, which, just as a reminder, you'll find at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Time to welcome our Friday morning guests. As always on a Friday, we have with us Francis Lun, who is the CEO of Geo Securities. Morning, Francis. Yeah, good morning. And also joining us this morning for the final day of the week is Kenny Wen, Head of Investment Strategy at KGI Asia. Morning to you, Kenny. Good morning. China's six biggest state banks cut deposit rates on Thursday in a bid to boost the economy. They cut rates on three-year and five-year deposits by 15 basis points. The changes which come into effect today will also see two-year deposit rates drop by 10 basis points. The banks are now offering 2.45% and 2.5% respectively on three- and five-year time deposits. So, Francis, is this going to make a difference? Well, uh, it makes a difference for uh, actually for the bank's profits. <laughs> I mean, yes. Which is not quite the idea, though, is it? <laughs> so, well, uh, for... Uh, uh, Depositors, of course, they will get less. But of course, the uh, these deposit rates have always been very low to, to start with. But I think the important thing is really to improve the bottom line of the state banks because they be under pressure for the bad loans uh, to, to the real estate sector uh, and. Uh, with improved profit, then uh, they can make more loans and then maybe help boost the economy. Uh, the, uh, the economy is not really doing very well and unemployment is exceptionally high for the youth, uh, mm. people from uh, 20 to uh, 25. So I think the government must do something. Yeah, I agree. Uh, first of all, I think uh, I totally agree with Francis, and I want to add more color. First of all, it is a matter of the market expectation that uh, the government will use uh, some policy to boost up the economy. Uh, specifically for the cutting the interest rate, I will say there's three advantages. First of all, as I mentioned last time, there are a lot of excess saving in the banking system because it's easy to understand because if you worry about uh, deflation, if you worry about the economic outlook will, will keep uh, going down, then you will, even though you have cash, you will not spend it. You will just put it in a saving or banking account. So there 
that's not good for the economy. So if we cutting the interest rate for saving, that maybe can force the saving to come out from the banking system and you can use for investing on ages or you can buy properties or buy cars. So first of all, it's uh, some kind of economic uh, 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 measure. And also mentioned by... Francis, the interest rate spread is very narrow. So if we can reduce the cost for uh, of the uh, saving, that is the expenses of the banking, then we'll improve their uh, interest rate interest rate spread. Uh, I'll put it another way: if they want to, if they t- uh, design to keep the interest rate spread, if uh, when the interest rate for saving is decreased, so the loan rate can be decreased. So there's a boost up for the loan. So I think uh, from this one measures, there are three uh, outcome that should be positive, uh, marginally positive to the economy, and also uh, improve the possibility of the banking system. But here's what I don't get: um, there's a reason why people on the mainland are increasing their savings and and putting money aside it's because first of all they're worried about their future they're worried about their jobs Um, secondly they're worried that there may be another outbreak of covid and maybe they've got to (laughs) pay for health care and so you know they're saving up for that as well maybe also they've got children who are one of those one in five who are unemployed under 24 they've got to support them as well yes so there's all these reasons sort of structural reasons as to why people are saving more Mm-hmm. Is a 10 basis point, 15 basis point drop in deposit rates really going to go and make them spend that money instead? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think that uh, using one measures can boost up the economy, but unless it's a combination of measures. So uh, cutting the deposit rate may be just one of them. We are looking forward for another, put it this way. I think physical measures, uh, monetary policy, as well as targeting uh, specific sectors, for example, uh, octo or poverty, um, some kind of measures we will launch out in coming one to two months. I, I, I think uh, they will do it. How bad are things then that the, we're, we're sort of expecting all of these policy measures to try and boost things? Are, are things really that bad on the mainland? Yeah, I, I, I think so, because uh, uh, the key thing is really the unemployment. And uh, with, with uh, 10 million uh, uh, graduates coming, yes. coming out every year, uh, if you don't provide jobs for these people, there will be civil unrest. I think that is one thing that the Chinese government does not want to see. Uh, because in years past, the big techs have been hiring a lot of people, but uh, they stopped hiring this year, last year and this year. I think the thing is that you, ha- you have to get the uh, corporations uh, uh, to 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 start hiring uh, young people, otherwise uh, the uh, well, there will be social unrest. <laughs> mm. So, what can they do then to focus on that? Because that seems to be one of the key issues, doesn't it? Dealing with this large number of unemployed young people under the age of twenty-four, the government has suggested they should go back and work on the farms, but that doesn't, <laughs> doesn't seem to cut it, really, does it? They've, they've got to sh- surely come up with some concrete policies, not just talk, but some concrete policies to try and deal with that. What can they do? I think there's a is a, some a, a hurdle to launch a, a really large scale of uh, stimulus policy because if, if we focus on the Q1 GDP, that's talking about 4.5 and this year target is around is, uh, about 5%. So uh, from the government point of view, the, the, the economy situation is not really so bad. 
but because we are investment, we are investor. So if we focus on Hong Kong stock, if we focus on HES, we always want to have more stimulus policy to boost up the, the investment market. <laughs> yes. So we are using different angle. If we try to use the the government points of view, uh, mm-hmm. they may take the wait and see approach to to, to wait uh, to see uh, how the economy in U.S. Uh, any financial problem happen in U.S. and what is the impact on the Chinese economy, and then they will uh, uh, launch out the policy accordingly. So I think. They, that for example, even we talk about the property market, there's a huge argument in China whether should they to support the, the, the property market. Uh, some people believe that uh, the property sector is too important. If you want to boost up the overall economy, you can't ignore the property market. But for Others, they will think that it's a time to uh, to 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 make the property market slow down. Uh, even though we may we may we may get hurt uh, for short term, but it's a long term uh, benefit for the economy to uh, to improve in uh, structurally. So there's a huge uh, argument. So that's why I think up to this moment we still can't see any uh, large scale stom- uh, stimulus policy in China. So these measures that they're talking about on the on the property market, we had this 16-point plan, didn't we, in mm-hmm. November, which didn't really work. It hasn't boosted, <laughs> hasn't boosted the, uh, the property market. Now they're talking about a new um, package of measures, lowering agent commissions on transactions, uh-huh. uh, relaxing some of the restrictions for residential purchases. Is this going to boost the economy? I think if you allow uh, uh, some, some speculations, I think it will. Because uh, uh, right now they only allow one person to buy one property, but that, that's not going to work because the oversupply situation is very serious. Uh, according to some measure, the uh, housing market some something like twenty percent oversupply. Twenty uh, percent <laughs> oversupply. So, so you you really need some people to buy two flats for each person to really soak up this excess demand. Uh, even though they don't rent it out, at, at least it's uh, yeah, the money. <laughs> well, it, it will help the developers, <laughs> and and, uh, and and they they will be able to repay their loans, and then the society will not suffer their loan defaults. Yeah, and, I, I agree with Francis, but I just <laughs> worry that if we open the box and let the monster to come out, it's difficult to control. I mean, if we allow some speculation, but uh, uh, what? Magnitude of the speculation, so it takes years to control the property market slow down. If in this case we boost up again, then it wastes our uh, uh, work for the past few years. So it's really challenging for the government. But anyway, I think uh, for even though we can see some uh, large scale stimulus mm. policy, we still think there will be a, a series of uh, measures to, to to come out in coming one to two months. But has confidence now been damaged in the property market? I mean, if you go back, you know, two or three years, people were pretty confident that their, their, their home was going to go up in value, wasn't it? <laughs> and that's why they bought second and third properties. Has yeah. that froth now been blown off the market and damaged people's confidence to the extent that they're no longer sure that the value of their house is going to go up? Yeah, so definitely. therefore, they're more cautious. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think uh, that the myth that the uh, property prices will go up forever has been broken. 
I think <laughs> I think a, a lot of the speculators get the fingers burned, and yes. and, and of course uh, the uh, developers uh, have a dilemma. If you cut prices, and then the the, the uh, homeowners that bought the properties at higher prices <laughs> will will ask for a discount. It's always <laughs> happened in China. <laughs> <laughs> that will be difficult to handle. Well, here's another problem then. Chinese exports have slumped um, uh, in May. They shrank seven and a half percent from a year earlier, and that compares to eight and a half percent growth uh, back in April. Economists had expected a 0.4 percent drop. Now, this is also a problem, isn't it, for for China? Because if the consumer isn't spending, um, and now exports are, are starting to tail off as well, what's left for to, to help the Chinese economy grow? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think uh, for me, for the export is less important because uh, for export is other country buying your products. So uh, everyone know that uh, US, Europe, especially in the second half of this year, their economy will slow down uh, for uh, maybe uh, recession as well. For example, Germany. So exports should not be our focus. Uh, but I will say uh, investment and consumption will be the key. So that's why uh, the uh, China government will try to boost up the consumption, especially property, uh, more, uh, auto uh, cars as well. So I think uh, just take uh, for, for the export, I think it, it should not be the, the big problem. But uh, of course, that... But imports are down as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, this is, uh, I will say, try to boost up the consumption should be uh, also helpful for the import as well. Well, for, for China, actually, fixed asset investment account for uh, a, a majority of the growth in the, in, in the first 20 years since we are opening up. And, uh, but the problem is after uh, uh, so much investment, have be, uh, so much money has come into China, uh, overseas investment has slowed very mm. noticeably, especially after these uh, three years of COVID lockdown. And uh, uh, government spending, uh, look, building for infrastructure, I think you have reached a point of negative return. Mm. Uh, you, you look at the high-speed railway, except for two or three lines like uh, Beijing to Shanghai and Beijing to uh, Samjian, just about every other high-speed rail line is losing money. So what you get is negative return. You don't get any any really payback at all. So th- there's a limit on what the government can do. And of course, what what is left according to economists is really just to give people money to spend, like what Hong Kong did uh, with the uh, uh, spending voucher. But it seems that the uh, Chinese government is not ready to do that yet. So, so I think uh, that, uh, that we will have to follow what Chairman Xi said. You have to eat bitterness. You have to suffer in silence. And I think it also related to what we just mentioned, the property market, because for the local government, their revenue, uh, usually uh, a big part is coming from the land sales. So they, they just have a physical deficit in the local uh, government uh, points of view. So it's a little bit difficult uh, to, to, to spend a lot on the infrastructure. But anyway, uh, if we are according to the government objective, this year their physical deficit is talking about uh, 3%, which is... Uh, Point two percent, a percentage point higher than last year. So, uh, we we still think that, especially for the second half of this year, uh, the infrastructure or the fixed asset investment will increase. For the whole uh, two hundred two three, we are looking for around 
five to six percent growth for the fixed asset investment. So there's still some support on the infrastructure. But this um, this borrowing um, has left local governments in quite a big hole, hasn't it? Uh, it looks <laughs> yes. like. I mean, yeah. if you believe S and P Global Ratings, and yeah. why shouldn't you? They say um, there's about six and a half trillion dollars worth of, of debt in these local government financing vehicles. So presumably now this constrains their ability to go and borrow yes. more and boost their local economies. But if you don't do it, you just can't boost up the economy. So it's it's just uh, a, a matter of 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 uh, what what you choose to priority to to do it. Mm, and and is it is it a worry the size of this debt? It seems to be being focused on a little bit more. To even to the extent that we had Beijing saying it's not a problem. So as soon as a central government says anything's not a problem, you need to start thinking about it normally because it probably is. <laughs> is this the time where? Investors are going to start focusing more on the size of this debt. Do you think? Put it this way: I, I, I think the worst of the China GDP is is over, but just the recovery speed is uh, less positive as we think. Uh, for example, for this year, we we we're looking for the five point five percent above for the China GDP growth. So compared with uh, other countries, it's not really so bad, but just less positive as we think. Yeah. Is is China's stalling growth, which is sort of disinflationary, isn't it? I won't say mm-hmm. deflationary, but yeah. certainly disinflationary in that yeah, there's just definitely. no inflation. Mm-hmm. Is that going to get exported around the world and bring inflation down overseas as well? <laughs> I doubt it, because because uh, uh, in the, uh, in Europe and America, I think the inflation was first caused by the energy cost. Yes. Uh, uh, which definitely is uh, and the improvement and, of the supply chain and and of and and of course the uh, food supply exacerbated mm. uh, by the uh, 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 Ukraine war. So uh, 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 it, it is difficult for these two big items to fall uh, noticeably uh, uh, in the near future. Actually, uh, uh, especially in uh, the OPEC uh, uh, started to cut. Uh, production again, so you have uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> energy costs going up again. So, mm-hmm. so, so, what you ho- hope is that the uh, grain prices f- fall, so the food prices can, can fall, and then the America and Europe will experience uh, lower inflation. But still, nobody expect inflation to fall to two percent. This year, yes, uh-huh. yes, and then for China, inflation, for example, CPI. Even though uh, the latest number is is point one, is uh, I agree that there's this inflation, but according to our expectation for for the coming six months, the CPI data will bounce back. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the for two o two three as a whole is around. 1.5, 1.8. So I, I don't think there's this disinflation or, or deflation, but just a, a, a very low inflation number. That usually is good for, for, for China and for the economy. We're going to find out today, aren't we, with yes. the uh, inflation data, <laughs> see exactly yes. what it is. Yeah. But is this fall in exports? A sort of a warning for the state of the global economy because we saw those revised figures from the eurozone. The eurozone's in a technical recession now, yeah. and the jobless claims in the U.S. hit the highest since October 2021. Are there warning signals about the global economy? Uh, yeah, I think especially for Europe, I think uh, no doubt that uh, Europe is entering into a mild recession. Yes. I think uh, uh, U.S. has done a little bit better. I think, uh, <laughs> I, <agree. laughs> I think uh, the employment situation is still quite good 
in America, and the stock market is also doing quite well. So I think uh, they are seeing they are seeing growth in the uh, big techs uh, because of this AI, and I think uh, uh, the uh, technology stocks is actually helping the American economy to emerge from recession. But in Europe, uh, I think it's a more traditional economy, and I think uh, high inflation, high interest rate is really cutting into growth. So, and it will hurt the consumption as well. I agree. Uh, actually, we just announced our second half uh, economic outlook yesterday, and we believe that uh, uh, the the recession of US will delay to next year. So it's delayed, <laughs> but not avoid. But anyway, for the coming three to six months, uh, supported by the uh, employment market, that's still, still uh, so uh, quite good, and also the uh, investment market, uh, the recession can be delayed. <laughs> So what's happened to the US recession? Because the yield curve has been inverted for a year now. And remember back a year ago when yes. it first inverted, everyone was screaming recession, recession, it means <laughs> a recession's coming, but no sign of the recession yet. I think that uh, the the yield the curve is a very good uh, measure for the economic situation. But the, the uh, the problem is the timing of recession. They, they can come out after the uh, inverted yield curve after six months or more than 18 months. So even though we expect maybe uh, the early next year we will have the recession in U.S., still match with the uh, past record for the uh, inverted yield curve. So I still think that inverted yield curve is a good uh, indicator for investors. But just don't think that uh, once we have the inverted yield curve and then the economy will be recession next week and then the uh, go, uh, stock market will go down, it's, it's just not, not the case. Not as easy as that. Yes. Yeah. I think the US economy is much more resilient yes. than the uh, economies have been predicted, I think. <laughs> uh, especially uh, Americans are still spending. Uh, even though rents have gone up, they still have a little money to spend. I think uh, uh, the spending uh, from consumers really has kept the economy growing uh, in in America. I think uh, the economists will really have to redo their numbers. I think they missed this one this year. Mm. <laughs> some analysts say that the inverted yield curve is not enough. What has to happen is it inverts, then it needs to uninvert, <laughs> and the Fed needs to start cutting rates. That's when you'll see the recession. But there's no sign of the Fed may pause this month, but I don't think there's much sign of them cutting rates. Is there yet? Uh, yeah, you are, you are right. According to our study, uh, if we focus on the inverted yield curve, usually uh, they are inverted and then back to long mode, and then we will see the recession. So I agree the first part. Uh, so the, it, that's why we think that for coming few months, uh, maybe the, the recession can be uh, delayed a bit. Whether uh, including the federal rate movement, uh, we did not include in our analysis. So I, I, I can't comment on this. But anyway, uh, our base case scenario will be recession in the next, uh, early next year. So what about markets? The S&P 500 is now in a new bull market, up 20% from its October low. It's at the highest level of the year. Um, despite all these inflation fears, despite uh, recession fears, despite the Fed raising rates, uh, what, 12 months in a row now, 12 times in a row, um, we're in a bull market. What, what do you make of that? 
I, I think that that shows uh, how <laughs> how useless the economies are, <laughs> and how poor the uh, uh, the doomsday uh, stay uh, uh, how wrong they can be. I think it's just that the human <clears throat> behavior in the economy uh, uh, is really unpredictable. I I I don't think you can just uh, make some prediction based on some figures. I think uh, people can ask something very different from what you uh, people you think. I, I try to explain. First of all, uh, the economic situation in U.S. is uh, relatively uh, resilient or better than our previous forecast. That's first one. And secondly, uh, for the debt ceiling <laughs> negotiation is over, and now the market is looking for uh, maybe maximum one or two times uh, interest rate hike. So we are near the, the end of interest rate hike cycle. And I, I want to point out that uh, even though we think that the U.S. stock market is very strong, but they are they are leading uh, by the tech sectors and also by what we call Fantastic Seven. There's a seven stocks which are, are accounting more than uh, half of the market cap. Well, for example, those big tech names, they are driving the market. If mm-hmm. we focus on uh, small and mid-caps, uh, for example, Workshop 2000 Index, that's not really so good. So, uh, for example, if we are excluding the Fantastic Seven, S&P 500 actually it just uh is a it's just an okay situation. It's not really going up for five percent, ten percent. It's not that case. So, a little bit uh, uh uh distracted by those fantastic seven stocks. But is that starting to change? Because we're seeing now the Russell 2000. The last few days, it started <laughs> yes. to outperform, hasn't it? I think it's up uh, about seven percent this month. Yes. Um, in, in June. So is that a sign that maybe people are going to switch out of these tech stocks, which simply isn't sustainable? Sustainable is it? You can't have just seven <laughs> stocks yeah. uh, worth half the market cap. Yeah, they've got a far too much especially Nvidia is over four hundred <laughs> increased by more than double this year. So it's really way overbought. It's time to take profit. <laughs> well, what about the tech shares here uh, on the mainland? The uh, the Chinex has fallen to a three year low. Oh, um, no. <laughs> so it's uh, and, and I think that's certainly in a bear market. We've seen um, pretty poor performance, haven't we, overall in uh, in Hong Kong and uh, mainland China, despite that big bounce we had. Um, Last week, what's your assessment of where we are? I think the the, the government have to really keep their hands off the big tax. Uh, ever since uh, twenty twenty one, they've been hitting big uh, big tax with a big stick. I think uh, now now is the really right time to back off. Let them make some money. Let them do some hiring. They are good for the economy. I agree that the regulatory environment is really tough and it, it hurt the business uh, sentiment or the investment sentiment. But I don't think that they will change it in the in, in foreseeable future. Uh, but anyway, it's really disappointing for uh, China tech company the, mm-hmm. for the performance. Yeah. Does that mean that if you're a foreign investor and you want to invest in tech in Asia, China's not really the market for you? You need to look at maybe Japan, Taiwan, <laughs> South Korea, India, um, but not China? Is, is that no, in effect what well, our foreign think, investors I are doing? I think for the brave one, I think it is time to buy when they're at the bottom. I think right Do you think now, they are? Yeah, they are, they are trading at maybe uh, 10 or 15 times the earnings. Uh, they are much, much lower than, than the big tax in other sectors uh, and other countries. And I think now is a good time to buy. I think you cannot stay low forever. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think I think so. I, I understand that for foreign investor they get hurt uh, on ch- uh, Chinese tech company. I understand, but uh, just don't. I also think that because market focus is AI, and you can find AI in US stock, for example, Nvidia, something like that. But for, for China, uh, it's not really so related. So. They why they 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 will try to to choose the U.S. tech stock is understand, but in terms of valuation, I think maybe uh, it's time to gradually uh, to move uh, to to cut down your exposure on U.S. tech and gradually to accumulate your exposure on uh, China tech company because for Tencent is around three hundred twenty dollars. I think the P/E ratio is just fifteen or fourteen is. Uh, reasonable, so it's, I won't be too bearish in uh, this type of uh, price level. But what some investors have said to me is that foreign investors, they've said it's not enough that these stocks are cheap. We need some <laughs> sort of catalyst that's going to get us to go um, sort of back into the market. What what could that catalyst be? Well, I, yeah. I, think, I think the government need to do something. They say, I, I think we're still waiting for the settlement for Alibaba for the so-called violations. I think uh, if they announce that and then they close all the investigations on the, on this anti-monopoly acts and things like that, I think it, I think uh, uh, investors could return. Mm. Uh, yeah, for me as a, a fundamental analyst, I would say that the catalyst for for long term growth is always the corporate earnings. And for me, for the past two quarters, Tencent earnings is. Uh, above the market expectation. Mm. So the catalyst has already happened. And if you want to rise it at a cheap level, for example, last uh, week, the Hang Seng Index dropped to uh, 18,000 level. Uh, Hang Seng is around 300 or 4 or 5. That's maybe a good time for, for investment. But I, I agree that uh, for short to uh, mid to short term, maybe uh, for China tech company, we, we will use a wench trading policy to buy low, sell high to capture the short term uh, Opportunity. So, what about here in Hong Kong? Do you, do you see a turning point for uh, for the Hang Seng Index and, and Hong Kong stocks? Because it was a dreadful May, wasn't it? <laughs> the, the month was awful. Well, I think June has uh, we already seen improvement, even though uh, it's a small improvement. Uh, but still, <coughs> uh, the big investors, the money has not returned. We have very mm. low turnover. Yeah, that's Less a key point. Billion, uh, dollars that's a worry, isn't it? That's a worry. Yes. So we, we still need more money to buy into the market. Yeah, without enough uh, the, the the transaction purchasing power is difficult for the in uh, for the uh, uh, Seng index to 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 uh, have a mid term long term uh, uh, rally. So we we yesterday we announced our target for this year is twenty two thousand one hundred. But for me, it's little bit. Uh, optimistic. So uh, let's see whether in the coming six months, uh, Hang Seng Index can hit our target. It, it was quite a technical rebound, really, wasn't it? Because it hit sort of key levels. The RSI dropped below 30, which is yes. often a buy signal. So sort of people jumped in then. But I get the feeling that if um, if this is uh, if this is going to work, we need a sustainable rebound, not just a one day rally and then things stay where they are. Are you seeing any signs of that at all? I think we need to see improvement in China economic situation Uh or a large-scale stimulus policy to Mm. change the investor mindset and then they they use their money to buy and then we can have the purchasing power to boost up the, uh, the index. But in this moment, we still can't see it. 
Well, thank you both very much. A fascinating discussion this morning. Have a great weekend as well. You heard Kenny Wen, who's Head of Investment Strategy at KGI Asia, and Francis Lun, who is the CEO of Geo Securities. I'm joined now by Mike Gibbs-Harris, who is Director of MGH Asset Management down in Wellington in New Zealand. Very good morning to you, Mike. Good evening to you. Well, actually, good afternoon here, but uh, good morning to you, Peter. Thank you very much. Let me start actually by looking over the Tasman Sea at Australia. We had this surprise um, rate hike, didn't we? One of two central banks, actually, along with the Bank of Canada, uh, who surprised the markets with rate hikes. I get the impression that um, the Reserve Bank of Australia is caught in a bit of a hole at the moment, and it really doesn't quite know um, how to climb out of it because it's worried about um, in inflation, but at the same time, the economy is clearly slowing. Yes, well, I think for both central banks, both in Canada and in Australia, and probably for, for other ones uh, throughout the world, if their main aim is to bring down inflation, well, it's not coming down at the moment. And so or at least it's not coming down as fast as people wanted. So they're being forced, I think, to increase rates or to certainly not bring down rates as fast as people expect in order to go and meet their their prime need of of trying to reduce inflation. Do you see signs that um, in some places inflation could be coming down? I mean, we're seeing signs of it in the Eurozone, aren't we? Out here, we've had inflation data from places like the Philippines and Thailand, which was a lot lower than expected. Are there any signs at all that central banks are getting to grips with inflation and these sort of fairly persistent rate rises that we've seen over the last year are now starting to affect the jobs market and bring down um, uh, inflation? I think they're definitely bringing down inflation, but they're not bringing it down as fast as people wanted. Mm. And the economy has had a pretty good head of steam coming out of COVID, partly because the US just had such a huge fiscal stimulus. So if people want inflation to get down to 2 or 3%, then they're probably going to, going to have to either live with higher interest rates for longer all interest rates are going to keep on having to go up. Now, there are places, as, as you point out, particularly in in Asia, uh, China being an obvious example, where inflation does appear to be under control. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but in the developed world, I don't think it is the case. Mm. So what does this mean then? I mean, does this mean that the Fed has to keep on ri- uh, raising rates? Because that 2% target... It seems almost impossible at the moment to achieve. Is, is that maybe the problem that, you know, this, this 2% uh, target rate now is unrealistic? Well, I think it's unrealistic if, you, if you're supposed to go and keep unemployment at, at, at a minimum. I think that, I mean, this certainly has been a shock. I think central banks are, are, are shocked by how high inflation went. And you can put that down partly to supply chains. You can put it down to the Ukraine war. But you can also put it down to a large degree of fiscal support during COVID. Mm. Um, now, how they get out of this, well, there's a couple of ways. You can either have it fiscally or you can have it through through monetary policy. And the politicians generally don't want to go and put in a big tightening when people are still obviously under huge uh, budget pressure. Or, or you can have it slowly through monetary tightening. Mm. So if we look at Australia again, I mean, the economy there, it's slowed to the the slowest pace since the uh, fourth quarter of 2021. So over in Australia, it does look like these rate hikes are are having an impact, doesn't it? 
Well, I think they are everywhere. I mean, you know, people are looking for uh, for GMP growth of about you know one and a half to two percent this year in Australia. I mean, that's going to be slowing, but at the same time, inflation's going to be slowing. So you know, that's always been the trade-off, really, in in financial markets or in economies. Tell me a bit about New Zealand. We don't talk that often about New Zealand on the show, but I think it's fair to say that the Reserve Bank of New Zealand has been one of the most aggressive central banks in the in the whole world, hasn't it, in uh, in raising interest rates? Yes, except that they actually caused a surprise by doing the opposite of, of after their, their last rate rise, they said that they didn't think that there'd be any more. And that weakened the currency and basically helped the, the bond market. They essentially came out and said, well, we think we've done enough. Uh, whether or not that's the case, I suspect that even though central banks aren't supposed to be political, they all are. And we have an election here in New Zealand um, in October. And I think that they just wanted to be perceived as being neutral ahead of that election. And um, how but, is the economy doing? Inv- um, the economy is actually doing worse than Australia. I mean, retail sales are weak. It's partly because the recovery uh, from COVID has been more muted here. We haven't had the amount of tourists that we hope for. Um, we're also dependent upon China opening up, just as as Australia is. And so it's uh, it's struggling, I would say. And is it... Is it dependence upon China? We're seeing, obviously, clear signs of um, the, the rebound in the mainland not being as strong as people were hoping at the beginning of the year. Is that having an impact on New Zealand? I think it's having a little bit. The, the property market's been weak. It, I mean, it was very, very strong in COVID, and now there's a hangover from that. Um, and so that's also crimping uh, consumer sentiment, cons- uh, crimping demand. So... Whereas in Australia, retail sales are pretty much flat. In New Zealand, they're down about 4% year on year. Mm. So what does this and all... So, Sorry, Mike, carry on. So, so the consumer side here in New Zealand is definitely suffering. What does this all mean, do you think, for, uh, for markets? We, we've, had the, we've been talking about the yield curve, the US yield curve, a little bit earlier on. It's been inverted now for over a year. And when it first inverted, people were screaming recession, saying this is a warning signal of a recession. But certainly in the US, anyway, not much sign of a recession, is there? Not yet, but <laughs> I think there's one out there. And you know, everything you see, it's all leading indicators, and you know, it's it's getting less strong each time. But I think it, um, if you've got unemployment extremely low, you don't have the problems with forced sales of houses in the U.S. in the way that you do elsewhere uh, because of the way in which they structure their, their mortgage market. So I think as long as unemployment stays very low in the U.S., it'll probably you know hold on. It won't be as strong as people want. Um but at some stage, people are going to run out of their savings or people are going to stop investing. Mm. And we are seeing signs, aren't we, of the job market slowing. We saw that in the, uh, in the, uh, in the jobless claims numbers um, yesterday. So the, the, the signs are there as well, aren't they, that uh, the, the, the froth is coming out of the jobs market? Yeah, I think, I think things are, aren't as vibrant as they were, but they're still not, not very bad. Mm. I mean... You know, unemployment's at, what, three and a bit percent in the U.S.? 
you know, that's probably pretty close to, to full full employment. Um, most of the estimates are that people have managed to maintain or haven't spent all of their savings, um, which they which they had through COVID. But on the other hand, you're seeing people trading down. You're seeing problems in some of the uh, stores, such as the discounters, which which sell to the to the low income people. So it's going to come. Mm. And do you want to make an attempt to predict what the Fed is going to do next week? Lots of people are, are, are predicting. Well, they don't like to call it a pause now, do they? they? They want to call it a skip, which sort of implies nothing this month, but then rates are going to carry on rising in July. I'm not sure. I think that the people are, have, have been looking for, for cuts by the Federal Reserve. I think this year people were talking about mm. it at the beginning of the year. It's not going to come this year. It might come next year if we're lucky. Uh, next week, well, it's not. It's not going to go down. It probably. I think they'll they'll pause and then they'll just have a look. And you know, they, I mean, to be fair to them, they've always said that they that they'd be data driven, and unless something really out of the extraordinary uh, comes uh, comes from the economic figures over the next week, I think that they'll probably. Uh, pause and, and and say that we will continue to be data-driven. And what do you make of the equity markets? The S&P 500 is at the highest point of the year now. It's back in a bull market. It's risen 20% from its October um, low, but very much dominated by these uh, small number of tech stocks. Yeah, there's been a little bit of a pickup in the smaller caps, partly because the uh, the banks and the oils have, have done a bit better over the last week. But really, it's just been about eight stocks. Mm. And if you exclude those, you know, underneath things don't look good. But you, know, you can't really argue with with a market going up. On the other hand, those eight stocks aren't looking particularly cheap. And I think that there's a lot of good news already in the price. If you wanted to play uh, the tech rally, is there any way you can do that in, in your markets out there or over in Australia? There's such small stocks, with a, with a couple of exceptions, that it's probably not really worth it. And if you, you, know, if you really want to, to have tech stocks, then, you, then you're better off being in the US or being in some of the hardware manufacturers in, in Asia. Mm. Well, Mike, it's always good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Okay. Yeah, well, thanks, Peter. Nice to have a chat with you again. That's Mike Gibbs-Harris, who is Director of MGH Asset Management over in Wellington, New Zealand. Thanks to my guests this morning, and thanks to you for listening today and this week. If you want to get more details on some of the stories we've discussed this morning, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com, and have a read of my daily newsletter. I'll be back on Monday when I'll be joined by Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and Carlos Casanova, who is Senior Asia Economist at UBP in providing a view from mainland China, will be Shanghai-based independent economist Andy Sher. Have a great weekend. Money Talk 